Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to uh, Bankless Takes. This is where David and I just um, talk about maybe links we saw, articles we read, stuff, just whatever's top of mind. Yeah, we read you tweets. Yeah, it's a freeform episode. Uh, Today, David, I think maybe the theme is wisdom in general, maybe like uh, some investing wisdom, but also just like life wisdom. That sounds a, a little deep for a bankless podcast, but you know, we, we, hey, we, we get deep we've on here. We've done deep before. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a great um, Twitter thread that we'll get into investing wisdom from Chris Berninsky. So we got to talk about that. What else we got? Vitalik wrote an article on his blog titled The End of My Childhood, which the title's already deep. Uh, Vitalik <laughs> turned 30 years old. Happy birthday, belated birthday, Vitalik. And he wrote a reflective article um, that touched on many different things, not even one thing in particular. Uh, so yeah. we'll unpack that a little bit in our favorite part. I I, I want to hear your, your your take on it because you uh, recently turned thirty, didn't you? It's like you thirty one. Vitalik, no, thirty one. Okay, thirty one. Okay, yeah. you got a year on Vitalik still, but like uh, he's yeah, got a, a, a two hundred fifty billion dollar network on me though. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's done some things. Also, I want to talk about restaking summer in particular. What's the price impact to Ether? Ether the asset. Uh, so that's what's on slate for today, David. Um, I think wisdom is a good place to start. I'm feeling reflective. So crazy story. I know um, we're a little late to record this, but this morning uh, there was a, a really bad car accident on my street. Mm. And um, yeah, you sent me a picture. I got a message from Ryan. I've gotten messages like this from Ryan before where like, I, I actually don't know how to gauge the severity of it. <laughs> um, you sent me a message one time and it was like, something bad just happened. It's like serious. And I'm like, and, and then you go off and deal with unsaid things. <laughs> sorry, dude. and I'm just like, what does that mean? Yeah, I did that. And then you come, come, then you come was back. Was it and serious? Like, Do you remember what it was? Uh, yeah. Well, you didn't tell me what the nature of it was, and I thought <laughs> like, when you when you finally come back online, like three hours later. Uh, like I was like, uh, wife, kids, how are they doing? And, they're, and you're like, oh, nothing like that. Like I got a letter from the SEC about like an old okay. project that, well, that I had. Felt, that felt I'm like, very that's also bad, but holy <laughs> hell, please specify. Yeah. And so Ryan says like, uh, it's like uh, my friend was in a car accident. Like I got to go help. I'm like, uh oh. And yeah. then I get a picture of an upside down car on it was a crazy, dude. calm looking street. It was crazy. And and the reason I can laugh about this is uh, he's totally fine. But this was like oh. um, uh, a carpool that you know stops by my house every morning. I actually, David, though, um, there was like uh, ambulance and fire truck and all of this. It was just this outside my house, the end of my street. I honestly, I thought it was uh, one of my kids for a minute. It was oh, like a carpool oh. full of kids. That was, you didn't and tell so me that I, now. I, you know, like, I, I didn't get into that detail. So I, I rushed out of the house and didn't know for a few minutes. Right. Anyway, I'm in a reflective mood because like, man, life happens so fast. Yeah. This is just like going to this episode, if we're talking about wisdom, just like go give somebody a hug yeah. that you love. Go call mm-hmm. your mom, like get her on the phone because you never know. Like just shit happens in life and you yeah. can't predict it. And it's like outside of all of your, your framework for analyzing the future, things that you didn't anticipate happen can happen in an instant. Uh, so that's the, that's the mood I'm in this morning. <laughs> yeah. You remember, um, I know you know this, um, uh, wait, but why from Tim urban? Yeah. He just like, he says like, Hey, you have a limited amount of time left. How many books are you reading a year? Like two yeah. books a year, three books a year. Yeah. How many years you got left? All right, you got like 40 years left. All right, you got 120 books you're going to read in the rest of your life. And then you're reading a shitty book. Maybe you should put that one down, right? Uh, yeah, and, then, and then it goes into like, all right, how many times do you see your parents a year? Like three times a year, four times a year. All right, how many years you got left? 
It's something people like people don't like it when I bring this up, but well, no, it's it's yeah. de- it, I, I guess we're bringing well, we're talking about it all this morning. No, yeah. huh? so no, like, this is not in the agenda. <laughs> he, he does something. He, he also says something to the effect of like, um, if you have kids, uh, the time from, you know, zero to 18, you will have spent like something like 97 percent of all of your time with your kids Americans. during those years. Mm. And so after they're 18, after they're out of the house, you only have like three percent left. Yeah, it's but that three percent is extra quality though, because like a decent Fair. amount of the time in the ninety-seven percent, you were like clean and poop out of their diapers, right? <laughs> true, <laughs> you true. can trade that for like deep conversations that happened in the last like three percent. Absolutely, and I, I know you've uh, you've spent some good quality time with your mom recently uh, too. Yeah. Like yeah, Argentina, Argentina, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. None of this is in the had, agenda. She had never seen that corner of the world. And like none of her friends or whenever she's talking about like, hey, let's go traveling with my friends. They're like, you're up. Never did she would ever imagine herself like walking on a glacier in like the, the very far south. That's cool, America. man. Like yeah. you just ha- having like a trip with your mom into adulthood, right? So there mm-hmm. is quality time that that can be spent. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. You get to do that. Anyway, the theme let's, is let's, investing okay, now, wisdom. Now your job, wisdom. Ryan, is to transition this. this conversation into the Chris Berniski thread <laughs> that we're about to pull up. Okay, uh, Chris has some wisdom for us as well. I don't know if it's life advice or investing advice, but uh, I think it applies to both. This is the first tweet. And Chris, Chris is probably, Chris Berninski uh, is probably one of the people I go to most often when it mm-hmm. comes to like fundamentals, wisdom type of, yes. like like a Charlie Munger type thing, but for crypto. Or imagine if Charlie didn't hate crypto. I yeah, right. Rest right. in peace, uh, Charlie. And Warren Buffett, it's these types of takes. He also got me uh, Crypto Assets. It was one mm-hmm. of the first books I read in going down the crypto rabbit hole. Chris Kerninsky wrote it. Anyway, he starts off this tweet thread like this. You are responsible for every investing decision you make. I'm going to repeat that. You are responsible for every investing decision you make. If you blindly follow what other people say with no opinion or critical thinking of your own, you're playing a fool's game. Not only will you not hone your practice, but you'll likely lose money in the coming years. Uh, so that's how he he starts this off. And then he goes on to make a general comment, I think, about uh, crypto Twitter, maybe, and, and some of the, the scene, some of the culture that that's entered here recently. He says, I see an increasing amount of misinterpretation in my replies. That's his Twitter replies. And many longtime crypto Twitter personalities showing signs of exhaustion, which tells me there's a new crop of culture. Zeters, he says, Xers, uh, Xeters, I don't know what that is, amongst us. Um, and he, he says this, a lot of the misinterpretation comes from not accepting what you are responsible for or misunderstanding the high level lay of the land. Start with the less entitled you are, the more you'll learn. What are your thoughts on this? I remember there's a line that has been burned into my brain. Um, I can't remember where it came from, but, um, it's about, it's about copy trading basically where like there is somebody person publishing their trades. And like, hey, here's what I'm doing. And this is a common practice for traders to do. It's like, you know, it's like social media for traders. Like, here's my trade. Here's what I'm doing. You can copy someone's trade, but you can never copy their conviction. So like two people can try to uh, attempt the same strategy in investing. But if one person's was, it was their original idea that they decided to come to a conclusion to based on evidence and analysis, and that was theirs versus somebody else who's like, oh, I think that's a good idea. And they just copy them. You, you're kind of becoming a weather vane. You're a leaf in the wind. You're going to see somebody else's trade and be like, oh, that's also a good idea. Let me just copy that trade too. But those two things conflict. And it will be generally after they've been successful. So it's sure, like, sure. 
after yeah. it's worked and you're kind of like looking at that and you're sort of buying the top of the mm-hmm. after it's worked. You, you weren't looking at them when they were contrarian, right? And it looked like right. they didn't know what they were talking about. Right. Uh, and so g- generally, Chris is just asking for people to reflect and consider like just critical thinking and independent thought, which is something that I think very just massively is lacking, especially in crypto, probably all financial markets. I bet you this is a thing across all markets, but especially with, with crypto, where people who make a lot of money get turned into like deities by the average person on crypto Twitter. And people just want to like cop, like just like, you know, live in their draft, for example. So like this is a rampant behavior where people are just like using other people's and like trying to copy their lifestyle, copy their investment strategy, just copy them. Uh, and Chris is asking, he's like, hey, uh, you you can copy them, but that's that's on you. Like that's your, that if that's your strategy to copy others, that's on you. Well, I, I think he's also saying here is just like, uh, back to that R word of like responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you are accountable for your own investments. That That like you have to kind of own that, right? It's like you press the buy button, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you you failed to press the sell button. And I think that's just a good um, life principle for investing, but just like anything, right? Specifically, markets are great at figuring out what's true and they mm-hmm. will tell you over time whether you are right or wrong. And it's important when you get the the signals of you being wrong, that you are self-reflective about that. You own up to it because that's how you become a better investor in this space. You you go back through, you do a retrospective, and you're like, where where did I mess up? Was this a psychological fault? Was it a fault in my understanding of the project? Was I maybe copy trading? To your point, David, was I copy trading someone else or following some uh, YouTuber trying to to mirror their success rather than doing my own thing? And so the very first step, I think, in a investor journey, a crypto investor journey, is like own your actions, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and by the way, you're not entitled to the upside. You got to work for it. And it's, right. it's not necessarily going to come overnight, right? Like it could take a lot of time in the market uh, to, to meet your goals. He, he also says this, know which assets, style, and time frames you are you're choosing. You know, right. that thing we say so often, David, is when you come into crypto, you got to pick your character class. 100%. What do yeah. we mean by that? Yeah, so... Um, I came into crypto in 2017, which was my meme coin era. Like people ping me with meme coins all the time. I'm like, that's I just not about that life. This is when, <laughs> this is when I was like, you, you already did that. Trade. This is when I was like pressing the buy and sell button on the same assets inside of the same week on Binance in 2017. Uh, and this is just because I think everyone kind of enters this crypto world and they think that the charts and trading and speculation. And that's definitely what I did in 2017. I got you that. You just out of think that's system. the game. You, you think, think that's you what think everyone's that's doing. Game. Yeah. And so everyone, everyone dabbles with like the charter trader like character class because that's just like that's the beginning or that's a beginner character class. Uh, and then it wasn't until the bear market when I was still had so many more questions that I was like, well, there are other ways to like navigate crypto, and also I'm here for the long term, and so I need to like find a different strategy because. That didn't work. <laughs> that one did not work. Uh, and so, you know, different character classes emerge, especially if you're just going to be in crypto. You can't just trade all the time unless you're a trader. But like there's other ways to fill your time. There are the, the tweet influencer character classes. There are the research character class. Uh, there is the content producer character class. There is the investor character class. Uh, and I think part of what Chris is, is saying here is like 
yo, I wrote this book called Crypto Assets in 2016. And it was about me and my journey in developing my investing strategy as it relates to crypto assets. Hence why I'm writing this book called Crypto Assets. And so he identifies his character class in this tweet. I'm a crypto assets focused, long only, long-term investor, three to seven year time horizons. I handle both public market positions and venture investments that turn liquid. This is- He knows exactly who he is. Exactly, yeah. And so like, I think you and me, Ryan, we came together because our investing strategies like line up pretty damn well. We want to deeply identify why crypto assets are priced and valued the way that they are um, from a variety of different angles and think about them in, I think, like the longest of terms. Like Bankless has always been, Bankless the podcast has always been like a truth-seeking endeavor because we want to look, see, we want to make hypotheses, theses about the way that the crypto world will look in 100 years. How will it end up? Like what are the converging basins of attraction that will imply our investments now? And this is our strategy. Uh, and I think there's been like, uh, everyone gives everyone else flack in this industry for like having a particular strategy. And I think when, like there's a certain subset of people who have different timeframes mainly, and perhaps also different ways of valuing things that these conflict. And so like people, a lot of arguments that happen in crypto are very frequently about timeframes. Uh, and we, I think you and I have developed a strategy that's about um, trying to discover the, but the deepest fundamentals in the longest term timeframes. And then we've made a media company around this, and that's what we would call Bankless. And that is our strategy. I think that's also important when people are choosing their character classes to just like um, uh, follow those sources that will benefit their character class, right? right? So Chris says this, know your sources, their role in the industry, their credibility, mm-hmm. ideally across multiple cycles, the asset styles and timeframes of any investor you follow. If you are an investor, like character class and you're kind of long-term buy and hold and your goal is to increase your crypto denominated wealth. Right. And by by that, I mean like whatever your unit of um, denomination is for your portfolio. For me personally, it's ether. That's my, and like money. Yeah, that's my money. And so I'm trying to like, how much wealth do I have as denominated in units of ether? Right. That's literally what I'm doing. But if I was consuming content from like a crypto trader that is just Mm kind of like trading the Bitcoin ETH ratio, and that's in my brain. And I think I like I'm I'm probably going to the wrong source of content for my character class. Do you remember what Arthur Hayes? We asked this question, Arthur Hayes. What do you denominate in? Do you remember what he said? <laughs> Didn't he say like he would do tins like cans of oil if he could strap yeah. it to a belt? <laughs> so he he said hydrocarbons. I denominate yeah. in energy. Yeah, which is a very yep. interesting perspective. And ninety nine point nine percent of the people that follow Arthur are not thinking like that. Like most people just like I denominate in dollars, Bitcoin, ETH, Solana. See, Arthur knows his character yeah. class. So he yeah. knows what he denominates in. And by the way, he knows his strategy for increasing his denomination, his increasing denomination. his hydrocarbons, which is he's right. trading. And right. he's trading not on like the week by week cycle, but if you like right. ask him or talk to him, it's like months. It's like three to nine month types of trends. Mm-hmm. He's got his uh, character class absolutely nailed down. Um Chris has some other takes here. Chance favors the prepared mind, but there's still amount of chance involved. Chance never favors you forever, mm. right? I'm a. Wow. It's uh, <laughs> you can get lucky some of the time, but you're not going to get lucky all of the time in crypto. Um, he goes on. All idols are false. 
something we were saying right. earlier, form yeah. your own opinions. Don't try to mimic your idols. Following a hero in crypto is dangerous. And this is this is what, the same thing with like copy traders. Like there's a bunch of traders out there who uh, play the influencer game uh, and they very much enjoy when people follow their trades because that also makes their trades more lucrative. Uh, and if some people can make money, that's why they like, some people just glorify these people uh, you know, it's just like we had a lot of bad idols last cycle, yes. didn't we? Twenty twenty one idols. I think we class. always have bad idols, and I think this is what Chris was saying. I think higher up in the thread, uh, where he just says, um, "Just like know your sources." Also, with character classes, and especially especially for people who go through one cycle that he highlights, uh, people morph character classes. Sadly, in crypto. And you can be one strategy, one character class on the way up and a different character class on the way down. And you can be like shifting around depending on the nature of the game. And uh, fine, that's fine. Uh, but if you are somebody who's like looking towards these people as leadership, you need to be aware that like their strategy, their strategy changes, how they get value and how they make their trades can also change. And so it's, ever- it's, sometimes it's more beneficial to identify the people who are not changing their strategies across cycles. Agreed. And and like people change, right? And they, like to your point, their, their styles change over time. Have you ever heard um, Nabal's framing of this where, you know, he's like early in your life, you want to be a mercenary right. and kind of later, once you've made it, you become mm-hmm. a missionary. And then right. like later in your life, once you've done that, you mm-hmm. become an artist. Mm-hmm. So he's like mercenary, missionary, and then artist, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen many people in crypto sort of follow that trajectory where at first they're like mercenary. They're just like, right. okay, I, but I want to get like wealthy faster than you, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. I'm just going to, and then they move into kind of a missionary where they're part mercenary still. They're still trying to make a profit, but they have a but wider they believe. goal. Yeah. I, and I would say I've kind of like, I'm part mis- uh, like a mercenary, you know, part missionary now. And like the, mm-hmm. the missionary has grown uh, like over time for me in my, my crypto journey. And the mercenary has, has uh, shrunk a little bit. And then I could see the artist thing on the horizon. Um, like, by the way, this gets to Vitalik's post where I think for Vitalik, it's actually like he skipped all that. It's mercenary, missionary, and monk. And he just went all the way to monk face. Well, he, <laughs> Vitalik has lived a very sped up life. Yes, he has. Man. Uh, anyway, we'll get to that in just a second, David. But first, I want to talk to you about something less deep, but something that is on the near term horizon. And that mm-hmm. is restaking. And I know can, you're doing. Wait, as we turn to restaking, can yeah. we also place this in like uh, about our strategy as content producer investors? Because oh, like, the, let's let's try and do that. I think like okay. restaking and eigenlayer has um, resonated with you and me for a particular reason, and I, I think it's because it fits in our understanding of crypto networks, where crypto networks are going, and it is like resonant with our strategy. 100%. Is why we are excited about it. Yeah, there's two parts to this. Like for me anyway, I'd love to hear what you say about it. Mm-hmm. It's like one, a long-standing thesis that out of crypto will emerge monetary instruments, like stores of value through which you can and probably should denominate your wealth in a bankless way, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of the existing fiat central bank system, we've created this new store of value, this new money, right? And there have been some long-standing contenders to what where that money can emerge. Bitcoin has been in the fray. Bankless has long argued that Ethereum uh, is in the fray and should be in the fray. And I, I think mean, we've been on been well accepted by now. Yeah, we've been on kind of like the the right the writer side of that argument. It's not mm-hmm. fully fledged, but like Ether has become more money uh, over the past three years since we started the Bankless podcast and kind of like uh, dove into the space. And so the interest for me in restaking is one. 
this establishes Ether as a monetary instrument even more. And so it makes me even more excited to denominate my wealth. But then there's also like, again, the mercenary side, the, the trader side, there's a lot of value being created in the restaking economy through like Eigenlayer and all of these restaking protocols. And that is more short, that is shorter term. That is like DeFi summer. Like you see this kind of emerge. It's going to emerge in a speculative frenzy, but there's opportunity in that speculative uh, frenzy. And we're also going to create something that I think is going to be much more lasting than just kind of like the, the bull bust cycle of the speculative uh, frenzy. So there's both a long-term play mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a short-term play here that, that I see. Yeah. How does that reflect how, how you think about this? I think it, it aligns with the concept of s- smart contracts on Ethereum, which, I mean, let's go back to 2015, was a revolutionary concept. Like smart contracts are no longer a revolutionary concept, but that's because Ether like popularized them. Um, Do you mean like programmable money? Pro- programmable money, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so like we have uh, crypto networks with native assets, uh, and then we have smart contracts and Turing complete like languages like Solidity those two particles come together and boom, we have programmable money. And Eigenlayer and restaking is a continuation of those two particles being smashed together 100%. back in 2015. Yep. And so it's a return to like a very core principle of like why people, why there was this original brain drain from Bitcoin into Ethereum in the first place, where it's like people just thought, oh, it's, it's Bitcoin, but it's programmable. It's Bitcoin with programmable money. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is digital gold. ETH is programmable money. Uh, and now, like Eigenlayer is taking programmable money and using that to create new crypto economic networks that do new things that are like completely adjacent from a blockchain, but are still crypto. And that's kind of the exciting new thing that I think is getting a lot of people's imaginations going. Yeah, exactly. And I know you're doing an episode uh, about kind of the the more the shorter term or this kind of like new ecosystem that's springing up with um, restaking protocols, right? You're doing like a speed dating episode where are, are you like interviewing, I don't know, five or so of the teams and giving them like 15 minutes, give me your pitch type. Yeah. Is that the episode format? M- might be six. Uh, so maybe just to really just place this into context, we have ETH asset and the very center of a set of contrans- concentric circles, it is programmable money. Then we have liquid staked ETH, right? The LST tokens, the uh, staked ETH from Lido, uh, RE from Rocket Pool. That is the next concentric circle out. With Eigenlayer, we are going one more concentric circle out, with it, which is liquid restaked ETH, liquid restaked tokens, LRTs. And there are, this is brand new. And so there are so many teams going after this. I think really there's six that represent over 95% of uh, the all of the TVL and liquid restaking tokens. So I'm doing a speed dating episode so we can get to know all of these projects. Uh, and so like 15 minutes or less for every single project, one by one by one. Uh, and so that episode, i um, recording most of those this week and then it, uh, we'll be finished recording next week and then hopefully it'll be out around December. Okay, so so what I want to talk about is maybe the the bigger picture um, vision here of why why is restaking good for ether? And so mm-hmm. in what you just said, right? You said there's there's ETH and there's staked ETH and there's restaked ETH. I think one analog, if you're looking at this through a monetary lens, is like let's let's say you take fiat, let's say you take the dollar. Okay, that is similar to ether. Now let's say you put that dollar in a bond, right? So you lend it back to the protocol, you lend it back to the U.S. government. Well, it becomes a treasury a T-bill, and you earn mm-hmm. some yield, that is equivalent to staked Ether, all right? So you, you've got the dollar, and then you wrap it inside of a, uh, a T-bill, a treasury, and it becomes the staked dollar, okay? And then if you use that staked dollar in some sort of form, you can kind of create, and like use the economic security of the nation state, you can kind of create a different bond market 
that is the corporate bond market. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I see with restaking is it's like a, a form of corporate bond market for mm-hmm. all of these apps that are being built on top of Ethereum, um, these AVSs that are using the economic security of Ethereum. So I think we're starting to frame out uh, uh, like the next frontier. We've talked about Ether so much on Bankless as sort of a, a, a different form of monetary unit versus fiat. And then we, we got really excited and we started talking about staked ether, right? That's the next phase. Now we're, we're in the kind of the corporate bond market. That's kind mm-hmm. of how I see things. I don't know if that resonates with you. 100%. Uh, the, the main difference is that when you have a dollar and then you turn it into a treasury, you can't also turn it into a corporate bond. Yeah. Uh, but in the world of Ethereum, <laughs> you know. actually have to turn it into a treasury in order to turn it into a corporate bond. So we have the yield of corporate bonds being sta- uh, staked, stacked on top of the treasuries. The, one of the big bullish things about crypto is just the instances in singularity, if you will, that I see. It's just like what was separate and disparate in trad markets is now the same and synergistic in crypto worlds. Things just like are more harmonious, more stacked on top, more synergistic in the crypto world. And this is an example of those. We can do more of the same things at the same time very frequently. Capital just was so much more efficient in crypto. And this is exactly um, uh, illustrating that exact point. So we have corporate corporate bond markets, which is just like, it's a, a, in the trad world, corporate bond markets is just like Tesla or Amazon saying, hey, I need a loan and I'll pay 6%. And then the market will come and fulfill that order. Uh, and that is me probably is usually higher than like a treasury market where the treasury market is giving like four percent, which is the incentive. It has to. It has to be mm-hmm. higher because the the cost of capital or mm-hmm. like the um, the uh, zero risk form of capital is actually treasuries. So right. corporate bonds always sort of have to because they right. imply greater risk of right. you because you won't get paid Tesla back. could default, but it's assumed that the United States will never default because we have the money printer. They have the money printer, and so they'll just exactly. oh we we don't have enough money. Oh, boom! We just have we just made more money, right? Tesla can't Tesla can't do that. The U.S. will never default nominally, right? It, nominally, it could yes. default in terms of real returns, and that's not that's not a default. Gotcha on a technicality. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. So okay, so th- there's always higher yields for the corporate bond market. Uh, this is actually different in the Ethereum context, where the yields being uh, um, added on to Ethereum Ether restaking are actually quite marginal. They're quite nominal, which is actually the point, uh, which is why um, like Cosmos validators who have to like find their own security, share their own security, have to actually pay a lot. Uh, but when you can aggregate these things together, you can get a very comparable level of uh, security for we, much We fewer- do that. We do that in like we... TradFi does that, David, in mm. that they, they'll group a whole bunch of bonds together and they'll give them a rating and you could buy a mutual fund of kind of like a like a, a class of uh, bonds, basically. Well, they'll just smush um, a whole bunch of the corporate bonds into kind of like one unit that one, you can purchase. Package. Yeah, one but that's package. actually not what I was referring to. Okay. So like uh, with uh, restaking, $1 of capital can be applied to like turn into $7 of security for seven different networks. But with like that, what you were just saying, like one dollar of capital is one dollar of capital. It's just like being aggregated across all of these bonds, and so all of these different corporate bonds that are using like corporate networks, AVS networks. We need to stop calling them corporate networks. They can all actually become more efficient with their security spend, so they get to secure their protocol for like marginal, marginal amounts of spend, security spend. But then it all aggregates together into 
a shared like commons of security, which is the restaking markets. So the question I think that uh, maybe people are, are listening to who, who own some Ether is, is restaking going to be good for the price of Ether, the, the fiat denominated price of Ether? And um, I want to maybe give a take on that. And uh, I'd love I'd love your thoughts on this, David. So one is we're looking at a chart of the amount of ETH that's staked over time since basically this functionality was was launched. So uh, back in you know 2021, it has been basically up only in terms of the amount of ETH actually staked because there's raw ETH, of course, and there's ETH that you can stake. And he- here's a chart that just shows kind of the trajectory and as I said, it's just kind of up only. Yeah. So the total amount of ether staked is almost thirty million right now, which is what is that like twenty five percent of the network? It's, it's yeah. mid twenties, something like that, in terms of percent of the network. And so one, I think, obvious thing that we'll see is there will be increased demand for staking ETH. Why? Mm-hmm. Because you get some additional yield on top of right. it. Because mm-hmm. there's a uh, more reward. Or right. staking ETH, and I guess the question is, how does that reflect in terms of um, in terms of price? Would be or like, what does that do to the uh, unit of of ether? And I guess I have a few things. I think it does. So number one, unit of value. This is even more of a reason to denominate in uh, ether because now your unit ether, of account, not unit of value. Unit of account, unit. yeah, unit of account. It now your ether becomes like a asset that you can use not just to purchase gas, not just to watch it go up in fiat terms, but it becomes an asset that you can use to generate yield in other places of the market, right? So for me as a, a holder of ETH, it makes me even more attractive to hold it, right? And you compare that to, say, uh, dollars. There's a lot of utility for dollars out there. Um, but the nice thing about Ether, of course, is it generates yield, and um, I, we know what the supply schedule looks like, right? So it's attractive from that perspective. I also think it it creates additional monetary value, monetary premium for Ether, the asset, because this use case really establishes Ether as a collateral, as like a bond, not just a bond for its own internal network, but a bond for an entire economy of applications that are built on top of it. Um, and I think what that does is it creates some narrative value. So this meme that we've talked about the very like the, I think the very beginning of a bankless of uh, ether as an internet bond sort of starts mm-hmm. to really reinforce that narrative value proposition and that creates like a, a liquidity flywheel. So recall one definition a great definition of of money from the Austrians is that's the most saleable good and what that mm-hmm. means is it's it's the most liquid good. Right. right. So you, you like no you matter the st- time, no matter the place, the depth of the market is extremely deep. Yeah. So you could sell a t- like hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, a, a very liquid market would not move the price. Mm-hmm. And so that is one definition of, of money. And I think it's probably the truest definition of money in, in an acid test. So this liquidity flywheel means there will be more places to buy and sell ether. It expands in terms of market cap and it becomes a more saleable good. And then we also have all of these yield products that are built on top of this. And I think that narrative probably in a year or two's time will start to take over TradFi, where they start to see Ether not just as a productive asset being mm-hmm. staked, but it's a productive asset for this whole, like we'll call it the corporate bond economy, essentially, inside of Ethereum. And so that will have a but to double down on that too. point, 
not just is Ether a productive asset natively inside of Ethereum, cool crypto bros, you guys figured out this is a cool insular economy, but they will also see ETH being a productive, uh, productive asset that's expanding beyond its own internal Ethereum network. So the asset itself is being productive for non-native use cases, which we are calling AVSs. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's sort of what I what I like about this is because, um, right, this, you part of these, where do these yields ultimately come from in restaking? Well, there mm -hmm. has to be some valuable AVSs, applications that are built on top of restaking an eigenlayer. But to the extent that's true, it becomes a, uh, a crypto-specific economy source of yield for Ether, right? That is sort of outside of TradFi's existing apparatus. It's not like a, a mortgage. It's not like a a corporate bond or some other source of of uh, yield. It's like internal to the crypto economy, and so that's cool. And lastly, what I would say is, um, it's a pretty strong moat for Ether as a monetary right. unit, right? So, um, Bitcoin is not being used in this way. I think there are attempts to try to make Bitcoin. Yeah, the, the restaking way. network, the eigenlayer equivalent for Bitcoin is called um, Babylon. Um, but whether or not there is actually product market fit is yet to be discovered. Right, and because Bitcoin is not as expressive as mm -hmm. Ethereum, there's, it's just much harder to kind of draw that out in a in a trustless way. Uh, and so, yeah, and then you look at alternative layer ones, right? And they're not being used in this way as a money. So yeah. it kind of establishes Ether even well, more. Got a pretty as, high market cap, but it went down today. And I'm sorry, you can't you can't restake on a network that goes down. Right. Uh, so ETH as programmable money is kind of a moat. So all that said, I think it's look restaking. This is why we're we're excited about it from a, a time horizon, long time horizon perspective, is because it really establishes maybe cements the monetary value proposition of ether as an asset mm -hmm. as a bond for applications on the internet so at the time of recording there's 1.72 uh, million ether deposited into eigenlayer uh almost 600,000 of that is natively restaked which is just like raw vanilla ether going straight into eigenlayer uh, but inside of that natively restaked is also some lrt competitors so we have liquid restaking, which is taking your Rocket Pool Ether, your Swell Staked Ether, your Lido Staked Ether, and you're just depositing it into uh, Eigenlayer. And then there's native restaking, which is where uh, many of the LRTs are competing, which is they're taking your Ether, they're creating an Eigenlayer, uh, a, a node on the Ethereum Layer 1, a validating node on the Ethereum Layer 1, and then hooking that into the Eigenlayer contracts for native restaking. Uh, so 1.7 million Ether. And then the liquid restaking wars are some of the probably one of the hottest things in Ethereum. How, how, right do you have a prediction? How big do you think this is going to grow? If we're at 1.7 right now, you think we get to 5 million? Think we get to 10? And like, so you know, one of my predictions for 2024, right? Yes. Which one of them came right today. <laughs> I think you can know which one it was. The All second right. one I have is that uh, $10 billion gets uh, put inside of Eigenlayer in 2024. $10 billion. Uh, ten bill ten now billion ETH dollars. denominate that. That's uh, well, it depends on the ETH price there, <laughs> uh, but we are at two billion. I think one point seven billion. Let me actually uh, do the actual real math on that uh, with my calculator because Bankless Nation knows I'm terrible at math. Uh, one point seven million times two thousand three hundred. Is that where we at? Which comes to uh, three point nine billion dollars. Yeah, I made this. I made this prediction below one billion dollars. <laughs> yes, so we're we're well we're on our you. way there. Well, yeah. actually, the, the 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 problem with your prediction might be like you you weigh uh, underpredicted here. I think we could get. Uh, well past uh, 10 Yeah, but billion. I, I want to go for five for five this year. 
<laughs> I've got one. The other, the other one is um, uh, five billion dollars gets airdropped to users in 2024. That one's come on, space. that's gonna happen. That's <laughs> we're already we're probably already like two or three billion in right now. Yeah, I can't remember what the other two were. Um, uh, we'll we'll pull that up later when I get five for five this year. Um, anyways, uh, okay, so four billion dollars in eigenlayer, one point seven million ether. Uh, er, the early Ethereum predictions from the protocol devs, the Justin Drakes, Vitalik's, Tim Bakos, Danny Ryan's of the world, were like, "Yeah, the equilibrium will be two to twenty to thirty million Ether um, native, like just staked uh, and validating the chain. That would give us uh, a minimum threshold of security that would make us feel comfortable. And right now, we are at twenty nine million, uh, so we're at the upper end of that prediction. But that prediction was before LSTs were a big deal and way before Eigenlayer was even a thing." If you look at other Ethereum, uh, other proof of stake networks, all of the Cosmos chains, Solana included, their stake rate of like how much their native asset is staked to the network is around like sixty to seventy percent. Uh, why are these variables so different? Like all all other proof of stake networks are starting at a very high stake rate and actually trying to get theirs lower, whereas Ethereum started at zero and has trying to get to get its higher. Um, now Ethereum is currently like fine. It doesn't matter if it goes up or down, but it's going to go up and I'll get there in a second. Um, whereas other networks are like started off with like delegated proof of stake, started off with not very robust DeFi ecosystems. There's not really a reason to not stake. Therefore, everyone wants the inflation. Uh, and so with Eigenlayer uh, and in the increasing yields that all AVS networks will place into restaked ETH, the incentive to stake ETH will go up and up and up. Uh, and so all of a sudden the new predictions around the, the percentage of ETH staked have, I've seen from go like, I haven't even heard of predictions specifically from the EF folk, but just from uh, other people in the space, like Micah Bolito, he thinks it's going to approach like 60%. That's interesting. I actually, this is a whole nother episode. I don't know that it'll get that high because I think like, um, if we get into ETH monetary economics, like there's an asymptote right. where you get to a certain, uh, point in time and like the uh, yield, at least from raw staking ETH, ignore the LSTs and the the additional yield juice on that, starts to like go down. And right. so this is kind of like an ETH monetary policy type of decision. It's like a mechanism design of what what's in the best interest of of the network. Do we actually want like mm -hmm. 50, 60, 70% of ETH staked or or not? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is I I I think we don't want that. Uh, you know, for network latency reasons, other reasons. Right. But this is a good question. We should ask some ETH, uh, like core devs, ETH researchers. Mm -hmm. It's a Justin Drake type question. Well, we are doing an update to the Ethereum roadmap episode with Mike Norder and Dom on Friday. So I think we will just have that included in the episode. Yeah, um, definitely the, the networking issue gets fixed with the EIP max effective balance, uh, who Mike Neuter, the one of the guests on the podcast, is actually championing. Um, apparently, it's not getting pushed through to Electra, which is a big bummer. Um, but we can talk about that in the episode. There we go. Uh, David, you want to get to Vitalik's post, End of My Childhood? But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade, and as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us, hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind. Instant, 
permissionless, and 24-7. It's not perfect, and nothing ever will be perfect, but crypto is a world-changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission, to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to kraken.com bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to U.S. and U.S. territory customers by Payward Ventures, Inc., PVI, doing business as Kraken. It's everyone's favorite season in crypto, tax season. And crypto tax is always an absolute headache, especially for all you DGENs out there. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software built for DGENs by DGENs. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on making complex transactions into easy ones, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as a thousand other integrations as well. It's as simple as connecting your wallet, pulling in all your transactions, and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Plus, for all the airdrop farmers out there, Crypto Tax Calculator has your back as they are consistently adding support for new and upcoming layer ones, layer twos, and all the airdrops that you're currently farming. 2024 is the year when the DGENs do their crypto taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at CryptoTaxCalculator.io and get a 30% discount with code BANK30. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. The end of my childhood. This was a... Blog post I, from Vitalik. I don't miss anything uh, this guy writes. I don't know if you know uh, Vitalik David. Why but would he's you? A really, really, really. Smart I know dude. him more than you. <laughs> I've actually met him. <laughs> he's um, just turned thirty, mm-hmm. and he's someone that um, I've long looked up to in this industry. He's um, not one of the main characters who has been kind of like eliminated from yeah. the script. Uh, he's got some durability, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had enough conversations with Vitalik. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I know the human being, and from reading his writings, um, mm-hmm. good person. And this is I I think the overall vibe of this this article that he wrote was like Vitalik's going like p- kind of pure monk era here, right? And so he was talking about how he doesn't want to be the only leader of Ethereum, and how more people are stepping up, and mm-hmm. how that is so great to see because he's basically not always going to be as plugged in as he is now. Right. Um, but this was all about dropping wisdom. And one reflection I had is um, I just, I can't wait to have an interview, a conversation, or hear an interview with Vitalik in his 40s because he, <laughs> he's aging very well, I would say, yeah. in terms of like wisdom per uh, unit of year. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that was really reflected in this, um, in this article. How did this hit you? The first thing I noticed about this article is it was just structured differently um, than a previous normal Vitalik articles. He just had it's a it's a little more prosy. It's a little bit more 
oh, I'm a story this is, time. This is a story time. He title he titles the sections one, two, three, four, rather than just like here's this one is about like um, uh, stealth addresses or whatever. <laughs> uh, and it's a little bit it's a little bit like writing for writing's sake, uh, which I I think that was the first thing that like stood out to me. Um, uh, my I sent this article actually to my mom after she sent me forwarded me a message or not even forwarded me just sent me the message like. I just read about BitBoy in the New York Times and like, oh, I'm just so disgusted. Uh, like terrible. It was, it was, I think it was, I saw this. I saw this. Art. It was like in the New York Post. New York Post, yeah. And it basically was like, um, look at this crypto scammer, grifter. Right. He's, yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> with the air of like, this is what crypto is. Yeah. It's BitBoy. 100%. Right. And like perfect product market fit for its readers who definitely want their like dose of crypto schadenfreude, which is like what I sent my mom. And she's like, I totally understand that. And then I sent mom, uh, my mom, this article from Vitalik. And she was like, oh my God, that was so beautiful. Like such a fantastic (laughs) cleanse. Like what an incredible mind. Yeah. Like, yes, this is, this is my side of crypto. This is the preferred side of crypto. This is what I see when I see crypto. Completely. Uh, one of the images he captured in the article was, was this, um, it was, was a chat GPT prompt and mm-hmm. he, he asked for some prompt for show me bitcoin and then he said show me ethereum and he kind of juxtaposes the two well, no, no no not just that show me bitcoin now make it 1000 times more yeah. bitcoiny and then like dial ethereum up and yeah t- 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 turn ethereum up to 11 and show me what that looks like and for for uh, people who can't see this in the, po- the podcast bitcoin is kind of like very much gold uh types of it's, tones yes. mm-hmm. sort of like these these browns and, and yellows that you yeah, find so with it's gold. very gilded with a big guy a guy wearing a crown and some sunglasses on a, th- on a th- Throne with big old Bitcoin necklace scepter, right? And there's all uh the kind of the unit of Bitcoin around. And then you you move to the Ethereum. Yes, Mm -hmm. the same question. Now make it 100x more Ethereum y. uh, And ChatGPT really captured the vibe of Mm -hmm. of these two cultures. So Ethereum is much more like, I would say, like Tron um, style, like futuristic. Not not the the Tron blockchain. Oh, God. Tron, the 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 video game movie. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Uh, uh, when I first saw this image I, I, of the Ethereum image, I was like, oh, that's Carl Florsch. <laughs> that looks like oh, Carl really? Yeah. Looks a little bit like Carl mixed with Vitalik to me. Uh, yeah. It's uh, kind of like futuristic, these purple right. hues, these neon type colors. Purple blue um, hues, actually, ironically, Solana colors. Yeah. And so, so one thing that we can kind of capture from this is a difference between Bitcoiner and, and, um, and Ethereum culture. Mm-hmm. A, another thing that struck me in this post was he actually somehow he manages to this um, conversation about like how we get there in crypto. And he put together a diagram that I've not seen somewhere else about like these four different kind of sub tribes within crypto. And so we've got the token holders and the DeFi users as one group. We've got the application builders as another group. We've got the pragmatic users. These are different than the DeFi users who are doing the speculation mm-hmm. and the token hold, not, not the investors. Pragmatic users are just like- We would call know, that adoption. People, call that adoption. Yeah, adoption, like real world use cases. This right. is people in Argentina using it as a stable coin to kind of like get by and denominate their wealth and that sort of thing. And you've got the intellectuals or like the, the researchers, kind of the protocol devs. And he paints this picture of, how they all interact and all of these tribes kind of um, have different goals and different identities. And he says that the token holders and DeFi users contribute greatly to financing the whole thing. That's their value proposition to the network, which has been key to getting technologies like consensus algos and zero knowledge proofs to production. Uh, Intellectuals provide the ideas to make sure that the space is actually doing something meaningful. 
The builders bridge the gap and try to build applications that serve users and put their ideas into practice. And the pragmatic users are the people we are all ultimately serving. Uh, so, so some some wisdom here, and I I definitely see that in kind of like the tribes. And this is sometimes the intellectuals don't understand what in the world the token holders and DeFi users are doing. Right? Sometimes the builders mm-hmm. don't fully understand. Uh, like, but the builders are most connected, I would say, to these three groups. And sometimes the token holders and DeFi users are just like DGens all about the the next thing where they can get some return and they don't see the bigger picture. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's been interesting very much to observe the interplay between all of these sub-communities within crypto. And they all help one another. Mm-hmm. They all have different goals uh, as well. I think the part of the article that uh, stands out to me the most, and there there are there's so much depth to this article, and we are just skimming our favorite parts off the surface. And so this is what we are doing is not at all uh, in supposed to replace actually reading the article. We're just talking about, I think, parts that stood out to us. This one passage that I'll read uh, is the one that stood out to me the most. Uh, and Vitalik writes, but how beyond stories do we make this happen? This being like adding decentralization and crypto values to the world. Here we get back to some of the issues that I raised in my post from three years ago, the changing nature of motivation. Often people with an overly financed focused theory of motivation, or at least a theory of motivation within which financial motives can be understood and analyzed and everything else is treated as that mysterious black box we call culture, are confused by the space because there are a lot of behaviors that seem to go against financial motives. Quote, users don't care about decentralization, and yet projects still often try hard to decentralize. Quote, consensus runs on game theory, and yet successful social campaigns who chase people off the dominant mining or staking pool have worked in Bitcoin and in Ethereum. I think the punchline of this uh, short little passage is that there are other forces at work, hidden forces at work that are steering the ship of crypto that are not just financial motivations. Like there is a very strong culture of decentralization that has permeated in crypto from day one. You can see that in like the rocket pool community. You can see that in anyone who's like chanting get off geth. Uh, you can see that in like the Bitcoiners who like for better or for worse have turned into this like weird bit of just like religious zealots about like BTC the asset. Like we have motivations that are beyond just in like natural financial motivations. But the, the thing that's nerd like to me about crypto is like this relationship between code and culture. There is a back and forth conversation between these two things. And this is why I, in crypto we find people to be so tribal is like somebody writes code that represents value, the literal value as in like BTC, the asset, ETH, the asset, but also human values. And then humans look at those things and then they see, oh, Bitcoin has some set of like values. They're like the Austrians, like Ethereum has some set of values. They're like the sci-fi tinkerers, like, oh, Solana has some set of values. Those are the low-level devs, the pragmatists. Which do I resonate with the most? Oh, okay, that's my tribe, that's my culture, and these are the cultures that I want preserved as this thing scales out into the world. Uh, And I think there's just a very powerful way of showing just like, hey, like it's not just money. even if you think it's just about money, you've actually chosen a particular set of values, which is represents your tribe. Uh, and the choices that you make are implicitly an, an attempt to scale those values out to the world. Like Solana wants to scale Solana values to the world. Ethereum wants to scale Ethereum values to the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the fact that we can articulate these things and just prove that, hey, it's not just it's not just financial motivations, I think is, is powerful, at least powerful enough to like 
build a brand around crypto that's not merely like degeneracy. I uh, 100% agree. And I think we'll get there. And I, I love the optimistic note through which Vitalik um, leaves the post, which is just generally optimistic and bullish on humanity and, and bullish on this thing that we're creating here. So uh, we'll include a link in the show notes to this article. Let's end with this. Risks and disclaimers. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. You know Uniswap. It's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There is a link in the show notes. Are you launching a token? Is it already live? How are you managing the legal and tax obligations for providing token grants to your team? It's no secret that token management gets complicated. Between learning all the legal language and tax obligations in every country that your team is in, token grant management can feel like an obstacle course, but it doesn't have to. That's where Toku steps in. Toku provides practical tools to handle token grants, allowing for effective oversight of token distributions and payroll tax compliance for employees, contractors, advisors, and investors. They also handle tax withholding through their real-time tax calculations that can be done by Toku or integrated into any payroll EOR providers in any jurisdiction. Toku is a trusted provider of Protocol Labs, DYDX Foundation, Mina Protocol, and many more. Get started for free and make token compensation simple at toku.com bankless. Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. Driving real-world use cases like mobile payments and mobile DeFi, and with Opera Minipay as one of the fastest-growing Web3 wallets, Celo is seeing a meteoric rise with over 300 million transactions and 1.5 million monthly active addresses. And now, Celo is looking to come home to Ethereum as a layer two. Optimism, Polygon, Matter Labs, and Arbitrum have all thrown their hats in the ring for the Celo layer two to build upon their stacks. Why the competition? The Celo layer two will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability secured by Ethereum validators, and one block finality. What does that all mean for you? With Celo layer two, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas natively using ERC20 tokens, sending crypto to phone numbers across wallets using Social Connect. But Celo is a community governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forums, follow Celo on Twitter, and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum.